0: So I remember this one night uh, in Rwanda, you probably remember this, we looked forward all week to this meal, it was a restaurant, a nearby hotel, going for goat kebabs. We were looking forward to it, because all week was rice, beans, cabbage, rice, beans, cabbage, rice, beans, cabbage, rice, beans, cabbage, And good as they were, they were great. But we were anticipating some delicious meat. And everything was coming together. There was a Premier League football game, soccer game on Tottenham Hotspurs. That was our team. Uh, And the table was laid. The food was, the guy had just come out to say, it's almost ready. We're bringing it out. And then at the last moment, we couldn't eat. Something was missing. The power the power was missing. Electricity went out and it was so pitch black they couldn't see to bring in the food. The football game's gone and we're, there we are, sitting there. It didn't matter how well everything had been prepared, and this is kind of the point. It didn't matter how, how well it was prepared, how ready we were, because the power was out. An essential element missing. Consider uh, another quick illustration. The fastest car in the world. It's a Bugatti Chiron Supersport. It's been recorded at 304 miles per hour, 1600 horsepower. I don't don't know anything about cars. That sounds impressive. Perfectly engineered for speed. That is a fast car made to go fast. But it runs on fuel. And if that thing, Bugatti Chiron Supersport, is sitting there next to my minivan and there's no fuel in that, I'm going to crush that car with that van. Very different illustrations here, right? But an experience and a technical performance. But both of these indicate this notion that many things, many parts of life, include an essential element. There's something that makes them work something that makes them become what they are. It doesn't matter how well-prepared, how well-engineered, without the essential element, they are not what they were made to be. We'll get there. That's That's the point we're getting to here. If you think back to the beginning of our series in Exodus, and today is the last day, we finish Exodus. We saw from the start that Exodus is about god initiating his plan to redeem the world his world by starting with one small nation it's about him rescuing that nation in order to form them as his own people to restore them as people who know him that's what humans started with creatures who know their god and he was and live with him and he was restoring that and as we've seen that Exodus is also about them becoming something that they weren't. That is beginning a relationship with a God they didn't know. A relationship they didn't have before. And entering his rest. He had that prepared for them, rest. So knowing God, being with him would be their rest. ...what they were made for. Made for it. Well, we have seen clear hints... ...as we've walked through Exodus, haven't we? That they won't be able to uphold their side. They're part of the relationship. They won't be able to enter rest... ...because their hearts are restless. Restless, restless hearts. Their appetites are for what is perishing. And rather than their eyes watching God... Their eyes are on the dust. Their eyes are on the stuff that's dying, including themselves. But notwithstanding, the gift is given. The gift is given. Grace is granted to this people. It's been shocking, hasn't it? As we've watched them, we've watched them turn to control, turn to idols, Turn to themselves. Still grace is granted to this people. He will dwell with this people that he's redeemed. He determined it. He will do it. And so as Exodus concludes, and we do finish it, the book comes to a close with the gift of the garden of God among the people. Eden. They receive God among them. Or we could say, God with us, the hope of glory. They receive Emmanuel. So, yes, I am, I'm deliberately echoing here the New Testament, Christ in us, the hope of glory. They receive God with us, the hope of glory. And as we have read Exodus and, and finish it, And all of the Old Covenant, we could say. We are taught God's intentions. That's a big reason to read the Old Covenant. It shows us God's intentions. And we're shown also the problems of humanness. Our problems. As well as God's unshaking commitment to accomplish His redemption in the world. So, humanness pushing back God's gifts of grace... And yet God determining and continually moving towards his plans and the restoration of his people and creation. Well, please open, if you haven't opened your book, to Exodus. The last six chapters of Exodus we've seen, they concern the making and the consecration of the tabernacle. This tent of meeting... That God showed to Moses on the mountain. You remember Moses went up to Mount Sinai and God showed him the design of the temple. So that he could dwell with them. And they are to do, they're to make exactly as the Lord commanded. That's a refrain. As the Lord commanded. It occurs multiple times through these chapters. God equipped certain artisans, Bezalel and Aholiab to lead other craftsmen and all the gifted artisans. They joined in the service. So everybody who God had given skill pitched in for this making, but they did exactly as the Lord commanded, down to the number of loops on the curtains, the length of each beam The decoration on the candlestick. As the Lord commanded. So it was clear. And these chapters show us. It was clear. This was not their design. Bezalel and Aholiab, gifted as they were, didn't just come up with this design. This was God's design. And they're... They are not making a tabernacle that will rival the temples of Egypt. This is... They're not being ambitious with their design. They're doing it as God had shown Moses, as the Lord commanded. As we noticed a few weeks ago, this tent, this tabernacle, told a story. It was communicating a story. In the tabernacle was a, a, a table with bread on it, 12 loaves, the sign of provision. There was a golden lampstand in the shape of a seven-branched tree, a sign of the tree of life. And there was an ark with a cherubim-flanked cover, two cherubim on this ark. And above this, God would speak, a sign of His throne. And before His throne, there was shielded by a decorated curtain with archangels, depicted on it, was an altar of incense, a sign of praise, continual praise. Provision, the bread, provision, the tree of life, the throne of God. So the tabernacle was taking up the oldest story God had given, the the oldest part of creation, the Garden of Eden. The tabernacle was depicting the garden In the tabernacle, God was signaling his first steps of restoring his design, that garden, his throne with people, the tree of life, life life-giving, his life-giving presence, provision. He is their provision. So there he is, throne, garden, in the midst of his creation. And they do it. This kind of shocks me a little bit. They do it. (laughs) This is Israel, right? We've gotten to know Israel. But they do it. They do it exactly as he said. There's gold and there's silver aplenty. They had asked the Egyptians as they're leaving, give us gold. And they gave them gold. And so there they have it. Gold and silver aplenty. And the Lord gives them all a heart to give. He gives the skills to use it. And so at chapter 39... 42 to 43, the text says, According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. I think he seems surprised too. They've done it. As the Lord commanded, so they had done it. And Moses blessed the people. Well, so it is that one year, it's noted, it was one year to the day after the Passover that they set it up. One year. It's been nine months since they arrived at Mount Sinai. And you remember as Moses had gone up and received commandments, and it then took them six months to construct this tabernacle. Six months. Six months of devotion to the task, and now they move everything into it. So they've set up the superstructure, and then they move in the furniture, the ark, they set up the curtain, the altar of incense, the table of the bread of the presence, the candlestick. Everything's set up as the Lord commanded. Now, in chapter 40, which Ruthann read for us, from verses 17 to 33, As the actual setting up description. They move this in. They move this in. They move this in. The phrase, as the Lord commanded, occurs seven times. As the Lord commanded. Seven signals of completion, fulfillment, perfection. They had done it as he commanded. So, just to... Drive that home. Seven is, in Hebrew, the number of completion, of fulfillment, perfection. So, there's this signal. This is perfectly complete. They have done it exactly as it should have been done. Well, what, what makes it good? That's an interesting question. What, what makes these things good? What makes them worthy of being used for the earthly space of God who fills the heaven and earth? What makes these things okay? Well, it's not because they're the most beautiful artifacts that a, that a man could make. They're not the most impressive. I mean, there were far more glorious, grand, glittering items in the temple of Egypt. I mean, these, these Israelites, they had seen grand, the temples of Egypt. There are things more difficult to make, more golden, more bejeweled. ...more lovely to the human eye. And it's not even because they were made for the Almighty God. Herod's temple in Israel... ...the huge, massive temple that Jesus walked in... ...it was made for this same God... ...with some similar items... ...and it was far grander. Huge, made of stone. Remember the disciples marveling. Look at this, Jesus, look at the size of these stones... And he says, these will be, don't be impressed. These are going to be thrown down. So it's not just because they were made for the Almighty God. Herod's temple, there's there's no biblical evidence that God ever made that temple His dwelling place. There's no mention of the cloud of glory filling that temple. These things were good, because as the text drives home, they were as the Lord commanded. So along with Moses, like finally getting in step with Moses, the people finally follow his words. They finally obey his commandments. They keep what he told them, and they did it. Again, I think this text is bringing forward the marvel of the fact of their obedience. What? What? But they are not doing it with any particular set of expectations. See, all indications are that they're not trying to get God to do something. And that's another kind of finally. They're not trying to control. Finally, they're not trying to get God to just move them along. They settled in and said, we will do what you said. We'll build this. They wait. They do as he said, and they set it up they're just obeying finally just doing what he said to do now let's notice something else when they're building the things putting the ark together melting the gold, smoothing the gold constructing the tent, their hands are on everything right, I mean they're making it and then even after they anoint and consecrate the, the items. Consecrate means designate it for holy use. And they move each of those things in there. The tabernacle is still empty. It's still a tent with some furniture in it. It's a tent. They move the items in. The tent is still a tent. For a moment, for a moment there, uh, there is a tent of goatskin. And cloth with an oil lamp and two tables and a golden box with two stones inside. For a moment. And then, everything changes. In a moment, everything changes. The tent becomes a tabernacle. The ark, the box covered in gold, becomes the throne of God. The table with some bread on it becomes the bread of the presence. The tent becomes a tabernacle, it becomes a temple when God enters it. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory. The glory filled it. This glory is a hard word to get a hold of. We don't use glory in in similar ways. It means weight. It means splendor. It means brightness and perfection and awe, all of that, or sort of the weight and the sense of perfection, splendor, brightness, goodness. There's a feeling. It's a subjective word. It's an overwhelming sense of something there that isn't us, and and is alien to us. Is perfect. The glory filled it. A reverberating power that can be seen, that can be felt, that can be heard. It is hard to get, just imagine, and knowing that is goodness, 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 goodness. Wow. Perfect goodness, concentrated in a place so that Moses could not enter. And it was the presence, what we see, it is the presence of the Lord that makes it holy. Otherwise, it's just a tent with some golden items. So understand the sequence. It's a good tent, but it's good because it had been done according to as the Lord commanded. But humanly speaking, it's not impressive, it's like the Israelites. Goat-skin-clad people. Here's a goat-skin tent. If you want humanly impressive, fabulous temples, there's Egypt, there's Babylon, there's Assyria. But even though it was a good tent because it was God-designed, it still wasn't holy. It wasn't God's tabernacle until He tabernacled, until He entered it. Now, in an, import, so in an important sense, that's the message of Exodus. God's people are his people because he's leading them. Because he is among them. This is what Moses came to recognize. What we saw last week. Who are we if you don't go with us? where should we go if you're not with us where should we go leave us here to just die in the desert if you're not going to be with us what is the point of us what is the point of life if you are not with us now that we know you and god had decided to be with them he had decided and what did they do what did they do? What did the Israelites do to win over God? Like to get Him to favor them and not somebody else? Or to decide to be their God? What did they do? Nothing! They did nothing. They had done nothing except dishonor Him. Except when, when He has shown His grace, they show that they are more interested in control. So in this final analysis, all they had to do was take him at his word and act on it. They simply had to believe him, to believe him that he would forgive them and that he had determined to dwell with them. And that ex- their acceptance of that, they're, okay, we, we believe you. You wonder how it had actually settled in. We believe you. You will forgive us. And you will dwell with us. And so they made the tent. The the making of the tent is their expression of trust. And to do it like he told them. It's a simple act of obedience. And then he filled it. Well, so much of what God did in Exodus anticipates his new covenant, this, the new covenant that we have by the blood of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You know, the apostles teach that because God came among men, because he took on human flesh, and then he raised that human nature into divinity, right, I mean, there, there is, right now, Jesus is seated on the throne with the body of a human. He raised that body. That's part of our profession. When he did that, there's now a new way that he dwells among people. He made, he declared human, human bodies, human souls, a fit dwelling. Jesus had told them, his disciples, if anyone loves me, he will hold fast to my word and my father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him by sending His Holy Spirit to you to be with you and dwell in you. And because He's with us and in us we have peace. It's the same gift, rest. It's the same thing He was giving to Israel. You have peace. You can have rest. Once again God with us, but even closer than he was with Israel. God with us, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so in this new covenant, the individual human soul becomes a temple, the dwelling place of God. I'm now reiterating what I said to the kids, and then As Peter explains, all of us together, we make this uh, a spiritual house. Each of us a living stone, spiritually alive, with God's spirit. And he brings his... This is a wonder now. He brings his people together in sites all over the world. Today it happened. Today a wonder happened. God built temples all over the world. Bringing people together, his people... And then each gathering, alive with his presence. It's a shame we often ignore his presence. But the gathering, alive, his, this gathering right here, is alive with his presence. He fills his people in order to make them feel better, happy. No, in order for us to acknowledge him, to know him, to glorify him. The weight of his glory is given so that we might honor him and know him as he really is to know him truly. Comfort is a byproduct. So as we, we, we've seen so clearly with Israel and their tabernacle, it isn't because we pretty ourselves up. It isn't because we become impressive. You know, humanly speaking, we we can't we can't and we shouldn't compete with uh, the show. You know, the show of um, secular gatherings. We're not trying to make a show. We are unimpressive. We are unimpressive. We are we are what we are. We are ragged. <laughs> uh, we're not impressive. And we're not impressive to God. And we don't have to be. He is not impressible. He made everything. We can't make our souls attractive enough, good enough, clean enough. Like those Israelites who made the tent, we just have to take God at His word. We take Him at His word. That's what faith means. We trust Him. We trust Him. We take Him in His word that whoever accepts the words of Jesus and holds fast to them and trusts in His death, whoever gives up his life or her life to the rule of Jesus will be filled with His Spirit. Will be. He said so. Will receive His forgiveness. Will be joined with His life forever. So do so. Do so. That's the message of Exodus. It's the message of the Scripture. Do so. Believe Him. Take God at His Word because He is faithful to His Word. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have been made holy because He's holy. And where He is, there is holiness. Where He is, there's life. Where he is, there is peace. These are his gifts to you. You never get to earn them. You never get to be worthy enough of the gifts of his presence, of his life, of his peace. They're gifts. And he gives them, and this is your rest. You can cease from your striving. And it's a rest that's always available. It's available now. We must continually enter it. We must continually say yes. Thank you. Thank you. But the veil of the temple is torn. The veil of the temple is torn. We have access. We are always welcome inside to the holiest place, the presence of God, not just not just into the throne room, but in to the embracing arms of the Father. Father in heaven, Father here among us by your Spirit, we ask that you would give us the gift of faith, to take you at your word, to believe you, To accept your graciousness. Lord, would you transform us. As you are in us. Let your holiness have its full effect. Reordering the furniture of our minds. Reordering the furniture of our lives. To be honoring to you. To be uh, what you have made us to be the glorious temples you've designed. So fill us, Lord, and use us for your glory in Jesus' name.